Howdy. I want to start issuing a series of episodes detailing my trip to Europe this summer. I'm joined by my history and film co-host, Logan Denning. And to start, we just kind of talk about some of the logistics and how the trip came about in the first place. So, enjoy. Yeah, so today... And uh, I wanted to get into uh, my trip to Europe. We kind of decided it'd be overwhelming to talk about the whole thing in one episode. So we'll kind of break it in and just kind of talk about the beginnings of the trip and maybe the kind of the first part here. Uh, but also apologies for any dedicated trackers, listeners here. I've definitely not been prioritizing it recently with everything else uh, I'm juggling at the moment. So we're going to give, uh, give Nicole a shout out for kind of poking us and asking when another episode <laughs> was going to come out. So. Uh, She's a co-host of Twin Picks and was asking when we were going to put another episode out. So we're going to prioritize this just for you, Nicole, and hopefully everyone else is, uh, enjoys it as well here. So, yeah, I, so I spent uh, a month this summer. I went over to Europe. And uh, Logan, you are kind of already aware of that. and We're kind of following along a little bit on Instagram. But right. I did want to kind of start documenting that for for everyone who's who's interested. So where did... I know you went from... You started in Dublin because, and that was basically not necessitated, but it, it was advantageous for you to do that because of the price of flights there. Is that is that correct? Yes, and that's what I did in 2010 as well. It just for whatever reason, well, I guess because it's literally closer than the rest of Europe. I guess if you're kind of flying over to Europe, right. but it's almost like a little trick or hack, I guess you could say. If you, the way you book your flight matters in the price. And the example I always use, although you could, there's other examples and this isn't always the case, but the example I used when I was looking at the time and over the course of several weeks researching flights, if I typed in Wichita to Paris and then as a separate thing, I typed in Wichita to Dublin and then Dublin to Paris as two separate bookings, mm-hmm. you'd save about $300 by doing it as separate bookings. And I think part of that is just how they, when they're searching for flights and things, when they kind of put these things together, that's not something they're really <laughs> looking at, or especially if it's different airlines or uh, I don't know. So anyway, so that's the way I, I booked to Dublin before I even decided where I was going to next, just because Dublin to anywhere was going to be cheaper. So mm-hmm. I booked a four-week window, Wichita to Dublin round trip, weeks before I had anything, actually months before I had anything else booked. And then it would just kind of be, where can I go from Dublin? So the way that your trip ended up going wasn't necessarily the way that you had originally planned, or you didn't, you didn't really have an original plan at all. You were just like, I'm just going to get to Dublin and then see based on what costs what and what's well, and with coronavirus, what's actually available. Yes. Yeah. That was a huge one was obviously, so (laughs) this trip was originally supposed to be in 2020 to Japan. (laughs) So right. Yeah, uh, coronavirus definitely threw several wrenches at me that I was uh, dodging the whole right. time. Where but, obviously no no one was actually dodging. Uh, not for the Olympics, though. Is that correct? You were gonna. It was either like just before, or just after. You were gonna try and hit Japan for twenty twenty. Correct. Basically to avoid the crowd, yeah. I wanted to get there before the Olympics. I could have seen everything set up, and also there was. I was booking far enough ahead. There was technically the asterisk that uh, Hunter Veith, who has been a guest on this show, if he had decided to continue there was a non-zero chance he could have qualified for the Olympics. Like, he's that good. Right. And so if he had qualified, I also could have then maybe just changed my exit flight and stayed. Oh, right. Yeah. That was, I mean, that was 
low probability even if he hadn't decided to retire but so anyway so that's yeah so japan was just for japan itself and with the possible uh, add-on of the olympics but i didn't want it the crowds i'm not a big crowds guy so right trying to be there at not peak time yeah. was uh more optimal yeah. for me or if you say i don't like crowds then why would you go to tokyo but <laughs> <laughs> anyway but i did not that completely fell through because of the pandemic and coming around to 2021 i just kept saying that passport was burning a hole in my pocket like i I hadn't left the country at all since 2012 when I went to Canada for a little bit. Just hadn't used my passport enough. It actually was expiring. So heading into the Japan trip, I renewed it. That all got canceled, though, of course. And then this year, I was just bound and determined, if at all possible, I just really want to get out of the country, just use my passport for, you know, if for no other reason. Yeah, and it, it was kind of like inadvertent perfect timing on your part because you got to basically take advantage of all of the lessening of restrictions and stuff when the like the few months after the vaccine had rolled out but prior to the giant delta variant spike that we're experiencing right now at time of recording so it was like that's shutting stuff back down right right, so it was like right at the perfect like right in the valley of between you know between the uh the peak from last winter and the uh new peak from delta variant right now you kind of hit it perfectly without without knowledge of the fact that Delta variant was going to be such a huge deal. Yeah, relatively speaking, well, yeah, especially when I called my, tried to call my shot so far out. So I booked my flight to Dublin in December of 2020, just trusting that by the next summer, right. I'd be vaccinated and be able to go. So I was trying to call my shot. Now, as I got closer to that, that's where I had the whole thing where, I think I told you this off air or via text at some point, that so I initially had a flight for June 15th, but as I'm finishing up track season in May and haven't booked anything else other than that trip to Dublin, I was just like, uh, nothing's open. Right. So I'm vaccinated. I got vaccinated. I got my shots in February, March. It's now in you know, May of 2020. I'm like, well, I'm vaccinated, but I still don't know if Europe's going to allow me anyway. Yeah. So I started looking at, and I got a June 15th flight coming up and <laughs> don't know where I'm going after that. And Ireland's not going to let me stay. Yeah. I mean, I, you can still fly through the airport or whatever. So I was looking really heavily into Greece and Croatia because they were actually open. Right. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I'll just, that wasn't what I had planned. We'll get to what I had planned here, but I'll do Greece and Croatia. Uh, Japan wasn't open up at all either. So it was actually when I was like, okay, let's do it. Let's, uh, let's see what prices are for Dublin to Athens flights. And my flight had been canceled by the airline, and I hadn't realized that. I had basically missed an email that my June 15 flight had just been completely canceled, like, not like me personally, like the flight was no longer happening. And I was like, oh, well, that stinks because I got the flight for like 700 bucks for uh, Wichita to Dublin round trip for 700. It's just insane. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's really good. Uh, for a summer flight, especially because I bought it so far ahead of time. Anyway, so the flight got canceled. So I was kind of bummed, but also kind of relieved in the sense that I didn't have to like stress over what, where am I going with like no time to repair and I'm in the middle of track season, which is like my busiest time of the year. So as uh, track season was finishing up, or even right after, I did uh, end up rebooking a flight for July 13th with that same four-week window. But now that actually gave the time. stuff. That was when stuff was starting to open up. My goal kind of from the beginning of going to Europe instead of Japan was Scandinavia, France, and Switzerland. And those things were kind of all on their different timelines, though. So like... Mm -hmm just trying to figure out what was going to be possible and just constantly Googling what can I do in this country? What can I do in this country? And so it was, was way more 
stressful to figure out how to make it work obviously with the coronavirus as far as what do i need to be allowed to go to this country yeah and just because i'm an american who's allowed in france am i allowed to go from switzerland to france right like that's a different thing and so like every different dynamic you have to take into account Yeah, and this (laughs) something that's interesting during traveling during a pandemic too is all of that stuff is is subject to change so, like, you might get yeah. to Dublin and be like, oh, okay, my plan is to go Dublin to Switzerland to France to Scandinavia. And all of a sudden, France is like, okay, yeah, no, you can't come here anymore. It's like, well, now what? <laughs> yes, that that was at risk of happening. Yeah. And it actually, France did, like, the day I left uh, the United States, France increased restrictions. Not on coming into the country necessarily, uh-huh. but like museums went from mm. whatever to now requiring a digital EU oh, vaccine card that's right. to go to museums in Paris yeah. and, or in France. And that was new, like the day I left the States. Oh, wow. And so I definitely had to like, I had to like juggle some things or wasn't able to go to the Louvre because of that. Because I don't, even though I was oh, vaccinated, really? I didn't have, I didn't have the EU thing. Which is funny because aren't the, is the EU, is it their... Uh, the AstraZeneca vaccine? Well, it's, it wasn't about the specific vaccine. Like, they were actually fine with Moderna. It's oh. the fact that I couldn't get the QR code. Oh, right. Okay. You couldn't get in the database. Yes. Gotcha. Yes. This was specifically, your doctor's putting you in this European database when that Americans just didn't have access to. Oh, okay. So that, that's kind of jumping ahead, and we'll maybe get into that yeah. more uh, next time. So I ended up going uh, Switzerland being the idea first, because that's where my friend Tyler from Chini lives and works is in switzerland Mm -hmm. so i had a place to stay in switzerland so once switzerland was good i was like well shoot let's do that first so that if things change i'm at least at a safe place where i'm not even paying rent or uh paying to stay so start start in switzerland kind of go from there and then initially the plan was to go from there to copenhagen to meet with a historian to discuss uh the queen margaret book that i want to write Mm -hmm. anyway so I was hoping to go to all of Scandinavia, and that was kind of the plan going in, but they were on more lockdown. Denmark was good, so Copenhagen was good, and then Norway was and is a no-go. I did not go to Norway. Sweden was a no-go until about a week or two before my flight. So it was it was probably about two weeks out before I was like, oh, I guess Sweden now is possible. And so I started like mentally kind of reshuffling some things to be able to work Sweden in. At the last minute. When you say that a country is a, is a no-go, they were just saying like no international travel whatsoever, or was it is it a U.S.-specific thing? I mean, this gets yeah, a little granular, but this is more for my curiosity. Yeah, I, I, th- I feel like each thing was a little different. It, it was more of, some of it was like U.S.-specific thing, okay. or just that the logistics were too cumbersome, like, mm. or, or they would just say, hey, here's the hoops you'd have to jump through, but we are discouraging travelers from coming. Gotcha. I'm like, well, I'm not going to go then. But if they're saying we're allowing travelers with a vaccine card or with a negative test, I'm like, okay, well, oh, then I can okay. go. Gotcha. Gotcha. So that wasn't necessarily them saying under no circumstances are you, Rich Simmons, allowed into this country. It was like, well, you can come in, but here's a bunch of barriers. And you're like, all right, that's not, I'm just not going to deal with it. Right. Okay. If the barriers are kind of unrealistic. Gotcha. Right. Or, right. Or, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, and even the one little thing I had to deal with too was Ireland was closed to American tourists through like July 19th and I was flying in on the 14th or thir- you know 13th getting there on the 14th but I wasn't leaving the airport I had a separate booking mm-hmm. I ended up booking uh to Lyon France and then from there I'd be able to take a train to Switzerland so I had a separate booking but at the same time as far as my airline is concerned no you don't you have a round trip to and from Dublin you're going to Dublin 
Oh, right. Yeah. And then when you're like doing all this checking with the airline, the airline's like, well, we're not going to give you your boarding pass until you've shown proof of everything Ireland requires. So technically you could go to Ireland pre-July 19th. And again, it may be closed down again here since, but it, you had to do a four, like a 14-day quarantine before you could do anything Regardless else. Regardless of test or vaccination status? Correct. Prior to the 19th. Prior to the 19th. Oh, okay. So when I was getting to the airport, they think I'm staying there because I, I was, you know, I was sorry. But anyway, and so I just had to deal with all the Ireland stuff. So the only reason I had to get a, a negative COVID test before I left the States in the first place was because Ireland was requiring that. Even though I wasn't staying in Ireland, I still had to get that test oh. just to satisfy the Ireland requirements, for your, even though for I wasn't staying in airline. Ireland. Gotcha. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Otherwise, I couldn't get my boarding pass. Right. So I had to get a test just for a boarding pass yeah. that was actually irrelevant because I wasn't staying in Ireland. And then Ireland is also requiring, and I'm sure they still are, is a uh, passenger locator form where you basically say, hey, here's why I'm coming to Ireland. Here's where I'm staying in Ireland. And luckily, they did have an option for I'm just passing through. So I didn't have to like, I was almost being worried. I'd have to like book an Airbnb and then like use that receipt to uh, proof of lodging, but then not actually stay there and yeah. try to refund it. But but no, they they took that into account. So that that actually worked pretty well and i was able to kind of do uh do all that no problem so got to dublin the other big thing i did and this this actually ended up working not exactly as planned but probably better than i expected was being able to use my cell phone in europe so when i was over there in 2010 i, I had a, like a ipod touch that you know could connect to wi-fi but we were having to go constantly to like internet cafes and rent internet time to like book our next phase of the journey yeah. it's like you know, smartphones were kind of, you know, non-existent slash brand new. We didn't have them. And then even having one now in 2021, the, you know, I don't have Verizon doesn't work over in Europe. So the option was, though, I get why well, I say that Verizon, I guess, does have an option. If you pay 10 bucks a day, mm-hmm. you can use your phone just like normal over there. Yeah. But I have a I had a four week window. So that's 300 bucks. But it's only you only pay the $10 a day if you use it. Right. Isn't that how it works? Correct. Right. But I was basically planning on using my phone every day for like maps and stuff or just mm. I wanted to be able to have the flexibility of if I need to Google something real quick, I want that. So I was I wanted to explore other options. You're right. If I had to, I could be strict and only and constrain myself to Wi-Fi and I could probably make it work yeah. without charging myself every day. So the option I looked to, into instead that I ended up going with was buying a European SIM card. So for 50 bucks, I bought a orange sim card basically it's the main internet provider or cell phone provider in france is a company called orange so i bought one of their sim cards and then on the flight overseas switched out the sim card and it's basically set up where you bought a it was like 20 gigs slash two weeks so okay. plenty of data but it, would, it was only good for two weeks but then basically it just starts the moment you're using it okay so even if I had not, if I, if I had actually stuck to Wi-Fi for a while, I actually wouldn't have triggered it. But of course, inevitably, the moment you're using a map or something, it's just boom, hey, welcome to Orange. You're now using the card. But it worked great. It was, it was nice. Basically, I had my cell phone working exactly like at home, just with a different SIM card. For 50 bucks. For 50 bucks for two weeks. And was it, did you get that online or did you have to go somewhere to get that? Or how did that? I ordered it on Amazon. Okay. But it, but it is, it is still ultimately work. And again, I'm paying you know, 50 bucks for two weeks as opposed to 140 for two weeks. Yeah. If I had done uh, the Verizon thing now, so cellular wasn't connected to Verizon. So this is all it's basically the data was what I had. I didn't have I mean, I still could, I guess, could have text regular people, but I had a new number and they wouldn't know who I was, which happened to me. You sent me a text 
that I yeah. was like, I don't know who that is. And I actually just like, I didn't like block the number or anything, but I was like, yeah, I'm not even going to open that text message. Like, I don't want... Because it might be spam yeah, or whatever. No, yeah, no yeah. thank you, virus. And so I just, you know, deleted right. it. And then it was like either like the next day or a couple days later, you sent me I something. I sent another one that you sent me something made else, you know it was me. Right, and yeah. then I used context clues to say, oh, this is Rich with a new phone number. Yeah. Which I didn't realize. So reason I didn't anticipate that is we're iPhone to iPhone. Mm-hmm. So it was still an iMessage. Right. But so, so from my phone, it was just you were still in my list of messages. Right. So I could just go to, you know, our conversation and just uh, hit reply. Yeah. Not realizing for you, it was starting a whole new thread. Right. Yeah. And so you couldn't just scroll up. In mind, I could literally scroll up and see the same conversation we've been having via text. Right. But in yours, it was separate. And so that kind of threw me off because I didn't realize that was going to be a thing. But I could still uh, text that way. So I guess I could have texted anybody that way, huh? I just didn't realize it because it's going to throw everything off. It was better to use kind of like uh, Twitter or Instagram to text people instead then because mm-hmm. that's associated with the account as opposed to the number. But yeah, it worked really well. It actually, I was a little concerned at first. When I got to Switzerland, it didn't work. And I was like, oh, crap. I, mean, I, I even tried to like email them and they basically said, oh, you bought it on Amazon. We don't care. Like, you're out of luck. Oh. Contact Amazon. But it basically was just a coincidence that it didn't work right around Tyler's house and the train station in Lausanne where he lives so that's the only place that didn't work oh, like it worked everywhere else every, Scandinavia was fine everywhere else in Switzerland was even yeah. fine yes oh, okay. yeah even other parts of Lausanne but between Tyler's house and the train station like the places I kind of needed it the most <laughs> <laughs> whereas the places it didn't work but so I was contacting them they're like you're SOL and I'm like ah this kind of stinks but it actually worked everywhere else and so I had no problems I, I, I went to a different country it would just say boom Welcome to this country. And it would actually, it would roam and go to like the Swiss company. The so My little thing would change from orange to all these other cans, but the, the SIM card worked everywhere. It was great. And when I did have to re-up it after two weeks, that was a little problematic because I couldn't get it to work online. You had to like register online to be able to up it for another two weeks. Mm. And it basically said, nope, sorry, you have to go to an orange provider. I'm like, ugh, which I basically couldn't do until I was back in France because it's a French company. Right. But I was going to be back in France within that two-week window, so it all worked out, other than they were confused about what I needed, and I don't speak that much French. (laughs) So later when I was in, and again, I actually don't know the Anglicized, so I hate being like the guy who we always talk about, like, I don't like when Obama says Pakistan, when you can just say Pakistan, and we don't say France, we say France. But I actually don't know the Anglicization for Caen. (laughs) So the French city that's C-A-E-N I always say the French way because I actually don't know the Anglicization. And we've also debated before, like, how is Cannes versus Cannes, the C-A-N-N-E-S, the film festival? Oh, right. That's the Cannes Film Festival. That one I'm actually not sure of the French pronunciation. Anyway, the Anglicization of Cannes can't be Cannes because that's sort of the Anglicization of the other one. Right. But I actually don't know the French pronunciation of that one. So I'm not trying to be pretentious when I keep saying con. That's just how you say it in French. <laughs> and I don't know how else to say it. I mean, I guess I could say con. Would that maybe be the Anglicization of it? But I thought that was the con. I thought that was the Anglic- Anglicization of like the, the film festival the city one. where the film right. festival is. I thought that was con. Right, which is why I usually say can for the film festival because it does distinguish it from con. Maybe it's cane. The film festival? No, Maybe. No, no, I don't no. know. I have... The, the C-A-E-N. But the actual pronunciation is con. So why would it I be? Know. I have no 
Anyway, so I was in that town. <laughs> and they do not speak English there. I mean, the person at my hotel did, but like the person at the cell phone store did not. So that was fun. Good thing you speak French or you have at least a very uh, uh, working knowledge. I, I, yes, I had to like, I basically had to refer, rehearse the phrases. And I was just like, j'ai une carte de orange. Uh, j'ai besoin de deux semaines plus or deux, uh, plus deux semaines. And basically, uh, I have a French orange SIM card. I need two more weeks. <laughs> like, it's basically what I was saying. <laughs> Which, that's a shame because if your phone would have been working, you could have used the Apple Translate app um, if you would have been able to connect to the internet. Well, so I was getting this in advance. So we di- I did still have my working cell phone. I didn't wait until it expired. I was trying to get it early. So I was still good. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So uh, when the dude said he didn't speak English, I used my broken French there. And we were able to make it work through a combination of my broken French and Google Translate. You kind of need both. Gotcha. Because obviously talking is faster, but Google Translate is handy. Because also, when you're kind of like under pressure and someone's like standing there waiting for the translation because they literally don't know what the language you're speaking, that you're like keep mistyping. Oh, right. <laughs> like, I'm, like, I'm trying. <laughs> um, or he he was actually doing a better job than me, though. He was using like voice to text and like that works a lot better. And I, I was trying to do that, too. Yeah. But it was kind of interesting to be in a scenario where, yeah, I mean, my French is trash, but I spoke more French than this guy spoke English, <laughs> which is normally not the case for Americans overseas. So not to really obsess about the cell phone thing, but I actually do. Th- I don't know if you think it's interesting. I think it's interesting just kind of dealing with all the cell phone stuff and how it actually works. So yeah, they were confused because they're like, again, because of the language barrier too. what ended up happening, <laughs> let's ignore the language barriers for now. They made all this take way longer. What ended up happening was they were confused as to why I needed to up my cell phone thing because the phone was, I had bought 20 gigs slash two weeks. Mm. They were like, you've only used five gigs. You got 15 gigs left. You're good to go. Right. And so I actually left the store. They were convinced as Orange employees that I was good to go. Like the two week thing, they didn't know where I got that. And I didn't actually bring some of the literature with me where it did say, this travel card is only good for two weeks and has to be up it. And so they actually convinced me that like, no, you're golden for the whole month. So I actually, I left con being convinced that, oh, sweet, this car's going to last me the whole trip for 50 bucks. And then it ended up being a few days later. Sure enough, it stops working. And uh, it was actually about the 15th day. I saw so there was about a day where I was like, sweet. Uh, but on the 15th day, it stops working. But that, and again, I kind of lucked out that I was still in France. Because remember, if I had moved on to Copenhagen... I probably would have had to buy a whole different card or whatever. Yeah. So I end up being in Paris when it stops working and go to another orange store. Now again in France, or sorry, in Paris, they more likely are going to speak English. Still not great though. So even though a lot of people in Paris speak English, especially at all the touristy places, the regular places like the cell phone places, they don't need to hire people to speak English. And the French right. don't have a big focus on learning English out of, out of more of a point of pride. So you right. get to Scandinavia, it's matter of course, we're going to teach all our citizens English because that helps make them more viable in the world. Yeah. Whereas the French are like, French is good enough. We don't need to bother. Right. And, and I don't want to say I fault them for that. It's just, it's just a different take and, and kind of their own pride. I mean, obviously, Americans sure. are very uh, prideful too. So yeah, English is <laughs> tough. So I'm having to like try French way more often than I expected in, in, in France. Not that you don't want to, mm-hmm. but when it's kind of like a pressure situation, you don't want to have to need to rely on your French. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, quick side note while I'm thinking about it. Hey, Nicole, <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to talk to you guys about Duolingo. So I, I, I do French Duolingo. And uh, oh, yeah. I didn't mention that. So I know her and Nan will talk about, but I think they're both doing Duolingo on French. So 
Oh, I thought she was do. I thought she was Spanish and he was French. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah right. That's right. Yeah, that's, that's right. I think she's doing. Yeah, okay. But yeah, they both do use Duolingo, so I I do too. And could have talked about that for a while. <laughs> anyway, that's kind of my main thing. I'm trying to one of many things, but kind of the main thing I'm using for French right now. It's funny that you bring all this up about your cell phone because I actually had a similar thing happen to me in Afghanistan with my Afghan cell phone. So I had. Oh. Not just a different SIM card, but I actually had a different phone. So I bought like a like a used iPhone 5 on Amazon. And then when I got to Afghanistan, I went to one of the cell phone stores for one of the Afghan cell networks there and uh, got a SIM card. And I had you put uh, minutes and data on it. But uh, what I didn't know when I first got it was that in order to use it, you have to have both. So if you are oh. using, if you run out of data and you still have minutes, those minutes are useless until you yeah. get more data. And vice versa. Yeah. And so I was in kind of a similar situation where the first time I was like, hey, I need to get data. And the guy was like, no, you're good. You've got like 500 minutes or whatever. And I was like, okay. And then, yeah, lo and behold, like two days later, phone is useless. Uh, but lucky for me, the guys at the Afghan cell phone shop, probably because they were dealing with primarily Americans, yeah. uh, English-speaking people, spoke really good English, and so I was able to navigate that situation very easily. But <laughs> uh, yeah, I just thought that was funny. Right. It was a similar thing where, yeah, you go to the store and the guy's like, oh, no, you're, you're fine. You got a ton of minutes left. And I'm like, okay. Right. <laughs> with the Afghan ones, though, that actually, it made me think of printer toner. You basically had the whole, you're out of Scion, so you can't print in black. I'm right. like- what? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so I go to the store when a phone phone stops working, and uh, so it still was uh, nice. I was expecting to have to pay a full other fifty to uh, get another two weeks and another twenty gigs, but because I already had the card and I didn't need a full twenty gigs, because it was a travel card, if you wanted to use it more than two weeks, the deal was basically just you just have to buy some more data. Just, it was basically to keep your account active. We'll keep your account active mm. for another. Basically, I think six months if you just kind of keep buying data once a month or, or but after two weeks, you have to do it for the first time. So I was able to buy 15 more gigs for like 25 bucks and then that covered me the rest of the trip. Nice. So the end of the whole, not to bore everyone with my whole cell phone adventures, but I just, again, since we do like to talk about travel on this podcast, I do think it's important to talk about the logistics of using your cell phone abroad. Basically for 75 bucks, I got to use my cell phone like normal for four weeks in Europe. So way better than the 280 it would have cost me at 10 bucks a day. So yeah, I basically got it for a fourth the cost by going through a European SIM card, even if it had the little headaches. But you could argue, I mean, if I paid Verizon 10 bucks a day, I also don't have the story. I don't have to go to a mm, cell phone store right. in Con and have that conversation. Like, even though that's stressful, that's a great experience, right? <laughs> if you think about it. Like, right, yeah. I mean... Pass me how to deal with that. <laughs> I'm fine now. <laughs> so yeah, so I'm at, I'm at Dublin, just hanging out, had some time to kill, which was basically just boring killing the time at, at the airport before I headed to Lyon. Although while I was in Dublin in the airport checking my email, I realized that the historian from Copenhagen who I want to meet with, I basically said, hey, I, fi- I actually made it overseas. And so my plan is to go from Switzerland to Copenhagen. And this is, you know, on July 14th, I'm sending this email to her and she replies back right away. She's like, uh, I'm in Italy until August 1st. And I'm like, oh, shoot. But because of all the COVID stuff I was worried about, I hadn't booked anything other than 
the flight to Lyon and my first uh, Airbnb that night in Lyon was all I had booked. So even my train to Tyler's place hadn't even been bought yet. So even though my plan was to go Lyon to Switzerland to Copenhagen, it was super easy for me to just be like, oh, okay, I'll just do France first and then I'll do Copenhagen after and she'll be back by then and it all works out. And so I emailed her back and kind of got that all straightened away. And, and she even said like, hey, so we're just not, you know, kind of guessing back and forth. Let's just set a time. She's like, how is August 2nd, 10 a.m. at the museum I work at? And I'm like, perfect. Nice. I'll see you there. So how was able to get that kind of lined up? So yeah, then from there, I go to Lyon and I was just so excited. Like, again, so basically by the time I got to Lyon and out of the airport, it had been 24 hours since I had left Wichita between the flights themselves plus the layovers adding up to, I mean, because, you know, the flights only add up to probably, well, shoot, I actually went Denver to Newark to Dublin to Lyon. And so that was, I mean, that was probably 13 hours of flying mm-hmm. by the time you add it all up. Um, and then plus another probably 11 hours of layover. So yeah, that was, uh, that got me to Lyon. I was wiped because I can't sleep on, I, we talked about this via text too. Yeah. I can't. I can't sleep on a plane. Right. So again, I hate it, but you were saying it's actually almost like a superpower. Yeah, that's that's completely that doesn't make any sense to me because I I can sleep anywhere. It doesn't matter what the lighting conditions, noise conditions, what my seating position is like. I can sit in coach with someone snoring next to me with the other person with their light on and I can pass out. No problem. If I'm tired, like I'm going to sleep. Right. And so part of it is probably not being tired enough because you figure like my flight's leaving Newark, the equivalent of like 6 p.m. Kansas time. So it's also not quite bedtime, but I'd woken up at like 4 or 5 a.m. So, yeah, but I I mean, I guess it when I say if I'm tired, I also don't have to be that tired. Like I can just kind of like, <laughs> okay. I just kind of like, you know, put on some some relaxing music or something or even not even just like, all right, I'm just going to like shut my eyes for a minute. And I'll go to sleep. Uh, yeah, I uh, not not so much. Like not, not even a little bit. So like when I went over in 2010, that was my plan. I even took. I didn't do it this time because I know myself better now. So in 2010, I even like okay, Chicago to Dublin. I'm gonna even take like a Benadryl to kind of like mm-hmm. help knock myself out. Mm-hmm. Still nothing. Still wide awake oh, the, no. the entire time on Benadryl on an overnight flight. Yeah. So this time I at least didn't take the Benadryl. And I, I tried to sleep though because I'm like, you still got to try to reset. I was gonna be arriving in Dublin at 7 a.m. So I'm like, oh, if I can sleep, that'll be perfect because now I'll be on. I'll be waking up in as the flight lands at 7 a.m. and I'll be back on European. I'll be on European time already. But I I just can't. I just I'm just I basically just sat there trying to sleep. So I took my contacts out and everything. I just had my eyes closed for like six hours, not sleeping. And people are like, well, how do you know you didn't sleep? I'm like, because I can remember every second. Like, I mean, that, you know what I'm saying? Like, each moment leads to the next moment. There was no time out of my brain. And so I just sat there not sleeping for like six hours. And you could be like, oh, well, well, why not just watch TV or read or something at that point? Because I'm trying to sleep. <laughs> like, that sounds, that sounds like the worst thing imaginable right it's almost a little bit of torture in, 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 in the most mild sense of the in the in the super entitled sense of the that word sounds absolutely horrible i can't even imagine <laughs> but like you said it ends up being a sort of superpower for me because then i could also though because i still rested i still rested i just didn't sleep sure. i didn't lose consciousness but i still rested yeah. so i still am able to power through the rest of the day almost like you'd pulled an all-nighter right but also better than an all-nighter because i still rested but obviously and not to get into sleep science and stuff, but I didn't, you know, flush my brain from all this. They've, you know, I've talked about all the stuff sleep actually does for you, and yeah. it kind of cleanses the stuff that builds up in your brain during the day. So that wasn't great, and so it's not necessarily a comfortable day. But 
I'm still fine. I'm still seeing new stuff. I'm still excited. You almost kind of forget that you didn't get much sleep the night before or sleep the night before. But then what that does is by the time, you know, I go to sleep in Lyon and wake up the next day, boom, I'm now on European night time, no jet lag. So my little bit of jet lag would just be having the little bit of that all night feeling that wasn't even that bad. And then it's the same on the way back home. So basically, because I can't sleep on a plane, I'm jet lag proof because I then just catch up when I go to sleep that night on local time. And so I don't get jet lag unless you're arguing that the uncomfortable up all night thing is jet lag. Now, I have not, though, done, I mean, I haven't been farther than Europe on one end and Hawaii on the other end of the world. So I've actually never been more than seven hours away from local time. Mm -hmm. So I wonder how that would work if I was able to go to Japan or in Australia, would I end up jet lagged? Because the much bigger time difference throws me more off. But at the same time, I don't know if I just go, if I'm going to bed at local time exhausted, I think I'm good. But if it's 36 hours of travel... Am I even able to make it to that point, or am yeah. I sleeping on the plane? I'm, anyway, yeah, I've I've noticed in in during uh you know really extreme time changes that uh, yeah d- definitely trying to go to sleep at a time like during your travel if if it's possible go to sleep when your bedtime would be at your destination right and right. then once regardless of how much sleep you actually get once it's wake up time at your destination stay awake which is obviously easier said than done especially for me if there's a flight in that time it's like it's so hard to stay awake because i can sleep and i want to because my you know my circadian rhythm my body clock is saying hey it's time to go to sleep but yeah if if you can stay awake then i find that that is where you can actually get past jet lag in like maybe a day or two okay where you i mean you'll still feel shitty, you know, when it's the middle of the night for your body clock. <laughs> but after a couple of days of that, then you're good. Okay. Okay. Well, no, everybody adjusts, I think. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I don't feel like I've ever had jet lag, but I guess it also just probably just depends on how you define it. So Leona itself was kind of awesome. Like, it's just this, in a weird way, it me think of like Portland, Oregon, just as far as like how it's laid out along the river there with like a bunch of houses and stuff up in the hills. But then obviously the difference is, <laughs> those ma- those buildings up in the hills are hundreds of years old as opposed to <laughs> you know built in the 1950s what, or right i don't know enough about the history of portland but in Lyon, i guess why are you going from dublin to there instead of like dublin to paris is it cheaper or um so it, it was it, i think i think price wise it was about the same i think it was I, I forget off the top of my head i i do think it was just like seriously like a 60 60 flight from dublin to to from Lyon or something like that and what where is Lyon in Paris or in Paris in France? <laughs> it's on it's on the east border and basically it's right by Switzerland. Oh, so okay. that was part of the that was part of the thought too. That makes sense. Now at the same time, but the but the the question would be then, well, why didn't you just fly into Geneva? So Lyon was a little cheaper, and I wanted to go to Lyon. It's it's like the second or third largest city in France, and so. Again, I'm always that little bit of a Francophile. I'd already been to Paris, although I still go back to Paris in this trip here. We'll get to later. But um, I kind of just wanted to check it out. It's just like another city in in France. Like, no no real reason. And we've talked about before, too, how sometimes those, quote, lesser cities or less touristy cities end up being more rewarding. Sure. So the fact, you know, I, you know, you know, I liked Munich and Florence and places like that so much. I was like, let's just, Lyon is a major city in France. Let's check it out. So kind of all 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 of that now i didn't have a lot of time to check it out because i basically just stayed there the one night and a little bit in the next morning and then caught a train to Lausanne, switzerland 
but it was cool. What's funny is I didn't realize until after I had booked the trip and the flight to Lyon and everything that, oh, this is where the uh, Lumiere brothers were from. And they have like a whole museum oh, right. on like the history of the the Lumiere brothers and the history of movies themselves. And I, so I definitely shared some of that on Instagram. Yeah. And uh, so I was super excited because that, that tied in well to our history and film podcast when, you know, it kind of became the history of film. And, you know, it was actually a house that they had lived in that they turned into a museum of the whole process. And I think we talked about them a little bit when we talked about Hugo and George Melies. Yep. And, we, you know, Edison also gets credit too. And it basically... I think everybody has their role to play in the history of movies. And then whoever's museum you're at is going to act like they're the only reason it exists. But so trying to remove that bias that you're going to have at the Lumiere Museum, I do, it feels like the Lumiere brothers did pioneer the technology of moving images. Mm -hmm. I forget specifically what Edison did. He worked with specific uh, machines and was definitely doing stuff to help advance that. Milliers seemed to be more like, uh, one special effects right. and narrative on film. Yeah. So the Lumiere brothers didn't invent stories and right. telling movie and, and doing like movies as we think of them today. Yeah. That you could argue is more Melies, but they did invent the technology that made it all possible and pioneered the technology yeah. that made it all possible. And it's a lot of these original machines, which of course are there. That's cool too. Being a little little France at this museum, you're seeing these original machine, uh, machines that were making movies and. I think they consider maybe the first movie is uh, it's these workers coming out of their factory. Basically, Lumiere is Kodak for France. So for decades, their family had been making film Mm -hmm. for like pictures and stuff. So like they made a lot of that kind of stuff and other products. And so there was a big company that their dad had kind of pioneered. And then his sons, the Lumiere brothers, start experimenting with other ways to do moving pictures. And, you know, basically the whole series of succession stuff makes an image appear to move. And so that was their thing. And so it was just really cool as obviously a history or sorry, history and movie fan yeah. being, being there. And then, yeah, it was just, uh, just, uh, I was also there on Bastille day, which they don't call Bastille day. They just called 14th of July. <laughs> wait, what in wait are, are you saying in Lyon specifically or in France? <laughs> in France, they don't call it Bastille day. No. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nuh-uh. <laughs> That's what? what we call it. That, yeah. <laughs> no one calls it Bastille Day there? Like, like they know what you're talking about, well, but that's yeah. not what they call it. Yeah, they call it, it's, it's 14 Juillet, 14 Juillet. Just, just like we don't call it Independence Day very often. Now, more so than they call it Bastille Day. It, it would almost be like 4th of July versus Independence Day, and we use 4th of July way more often, but I think even more so. That's they so weird. They basically never use that's Bastille Day. so weird. I know, They just right? call it the 14th, just the 14th of July. Yeah, 14th of July, Couture Jouet. Yeah. That's, that is insane. That's, that's, that's so wild to me. <laughs> no, right. Well, it's kind of like, well, and we'll I, I think we'll probably bump uh, Switzerland to next episode at this point, but like, they don't call it Lake Geneva. Like Tyler, Tyler, who's from Kansas, didn't even know what Lake Geneva was. Oh, well, because on, well, I was just looking at it on a map and it's something else. It's Lake. Uh, Lac Lamont. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. But like, I just thought it was funny to the point that, Tyler's like, wait, what? What's Lake Geneva? Because <laughs> that's not what they call it. Right. But at the same time, I still think it's 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 not even necessarily an anglicization. You could be like, oh, well, it's wrong for us to call it Lake Geneva. It's like, no, no, no. That's what English speakers call it. You could sure. basically Tyler's insistence on calling it Loch Lomond would be like if we were in Germany, and he's like, no, you should call it Deutschland. Right. 
I'm yeah. like, well, no, it's Germany in English. Right. So even though it's way different, of course, then it's like Almond in French. So it's like, <laughs> it's uh, it's not incorrect to call it Lake Geneva just because locals call it Lac Lamont because you call Germany, Germany. <laughs> right. It's a, uh, yeah. Ge- Lake Geneva is is the exonym for it and Lac Lamont would be the endonym. Oh, is that the term for in- if you're local versus not? Yeah. Yeah. So like ex- exonym is like the name of a External. thing for something outside of it. So, like, we call Germany, Germany, instead of Deutschland. Right. Or we call... Right. Uh, yeah. And then the opposite is uh, Indonym is what you call it inside of that thing. So, in Germany, Deutschland is the Indonym. Right. And they don't use the United States. So, United States is our Indonym. Right. But then, if you're in Mexico, we're Estados Unidos. Exactly. Or, or, or French is Etats Unis. Yeah. So, it's... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Totally acceptable to use Lake Geneva, but Tyler was confused, and, and locally it is Lac Lamont. Oh, the other thing was interesting, too. So my Airbnb host, and I, I, that's also kind of nice, but even better than a hostel, because it it's more personal when you kind of have that Airbnb host, especially when it's one that meets you there. So, like, right. you know, she actually let me in or whatever, and I was basically just taking her daughter's room, and who was not there for the, you know, I, I, don't, know if, I, don't, know if, I don't know where the daughter was, but she wasn't there when I was there. <laughs> So my Airbnb host spoke perfect English, just, you know, French accent. She was a, she was like a grade school teacher or the equivalent thereof in France. But as we were kind of communicating on some things, uh, she's recommended a restaurant. She's like, oh, but I think you, I think you might need a uh, reservation. So she was like going online and she was trying to help me do like a reservation for the restaurant online. And so she's trying to get an email address and she, I don't know if she didn't like understand me where I was saying. Anyway, she's like basically handed me her keyboard. Just go ahead and type it in. I couldn't. Keyboard's completely different. What? In France? Yeah. Yeah. So like, it's, I mean, enough different that I couldn't type. But then also like little things where I'm like, okay, I'll have to hunt and peck because, you know, a few things are just kind of, it's, it's not a QWERTY keyboard. She even knew that term. She's like, oh yeah, sorry, it's not QWERTY. I'm like having to like hunt and peck to figure out how to type this stuff in. But then even little things like, oh, I need to hit shift. And then I would type in the email, but it didn't have the it didn't have the effect I was anticipating. Nothing worked like how I was anticipating oh it. Gosh! And every time we typed in the email just wrong, I had to start over for some reason. Just the way it was interfacing with this website, you couldn't hit backspace. Like you just had to like do it all at once, clean, or it wouldn't work at all. So like it took like what seriously ten, ten attempts to hunt and peck my email address. And, like she's going back and forth. She's like, let me do it. I was like, I think I ended up like writing it down so that she could type it in. Because I couldn't work her darn French keyboard. Oh my It was gosh. kind of funny. Like, we were both frustrated, but also laughing at the situation. Anyway, so that was kind of funny, too. So when I finally get to the restaurant, luckily the waiter spoke English. Because, again, my, I'm like, oh, j'ai une réservation. And, and this, I have a reservation. And he quickly switched to English. And he kind of gets, like, like, going into the trip, I had all these, like, high hopes of, like, I'm going to get to practice my French. And I'm rehearsing all these phrases. Like, you know, I'm going to be able to say to my Airbnb host, uh uh c'est un mon premier conversation in all français which i already messed up but it's basically i was trying to say i i said mon instead of ma but this is my first conversation in french like i'm rehearsing all that stuff in french but then you get there and you just like it's like stage fright almost also uh i'm also so deferring i always tend to be worried about what people think like it's more convenient for them to if you just speak english why are you basically making them a slave to wasting their time to practice french with you right you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, that's going on in my mind anyway. Sure. I almost felt like it was more considerate to use English, even though I wanted to make the effort. Oh, right. C- kind of like a, you think that they're thinking like, oh, my God, like, I don't want to listen to you struggle through French. Like, I'll just, yes! I'll just use my English. It's really OK. <laughs> yes, yes. Which 
again, I think you would do the reverse of if someone you know, you're in Arizona, if someone is struggling to speak English to you in Arizona, but you speak Spanish, well, you just speak Spanish and help them out. Like that's just where your brain goes. Yeah. Like anyway, so uh, and they'd be like, oh, okay, thanks, and then you they speak Spanish and they'd be more comfortable. So anyway, as much as I wanted, I didn't practice French this whole trip as much. I mean, the cell phone thing, obviously, I had to, right. and that was kind of good. Yeah. But it was it, it nothing goes as planned sure. <laughs> on any trip, of course. And then the last thing I'll mention on uh, Leon is her daughter. Even then, I think she's probably like ten. And I was staying in her room where she had like a little note in her room. It's like, but it's all in French. So that was kind of fun too. It's like, hello, my name is Sophie and thank you. Welcome to my room and blah, blah, blah. And it just, uh, <laughs> it was her, her being all, uh, you know, little girl sweet. Um, but it's all in French. But, it, you know, so that was cool too because I could actually read it. Yeah. So I, I can read, I can read it. I, I can't understand it, but I can read pretty well, especially if it's a 10 year old. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but one of her notes was like, and of course, don't steal or break anything. <laughs> 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 and then but th- yeah and then she has a little note uh and then she did have hello real big in english at the bottom and then she has a little notebook right next to it where all the guests write notes to sophie oh that's kind of cool in, actually. in the little thing yeah so i thought that was kind of cool and uh so i did write her a note in french basically just saying hey you know yeah thanks for your room i don't really speak french but you know thanks for you know. so that was that was kind of fun to practice and i'm sure i messed it up but her mom could probably help her decipher it <laughs> <laughs> anyway so that was kind of a neat little thing um, the Time Sentinel pe- paper, the local newspaper here, actually had me write a uh, two-part piece on the whole trip for for them. So actually, it was like my whole trip was in the paper, but obviously like way condensed because I only had so much space. I mean, we've been talking here for you know forty-five minutes, and I've gone into way more detail. But anyway, so I mentioned in there that one of the most stressful things of the whole trip was the train station on Lyon when I was trying to get to Switzerland because the lack of English. So this the train station would have confused me in English. Just the particulars of, okay, here's where this train leaves from. Here's the train you need to get to Lausanne and how to kind of book all that and make it happen and where that train actually is going to be on which track at what time and how they're posting information. It was laid out in a just uh, unfamiliar enough way that I was going to be confused, even if everything was in English. And now everything's in French. Okay. So I was really stressed. Now I had time. I didn't have a set time, to, but I still wanted to be able to get to Lausanne that night because Tyler was like, you know, going to be expecting me that night. And that's where I was staying that night. I needed to get to Lausanne. And there was two different train companies operating out of the station. And I didn't know which company I needed. So I'm going to both kiosks. And yes, both kiosks have an option to have the interface be in English. So I can still go through and, you know, buy your train. But I don't know where I'm going. Like, I know I'm going to Lausanne eventually. But you know enough about how all these metros and train stations yeah. work. It's all about the destination. Right. So just because I want to go to Lausanne doesn't mean Lausanne is the train direction that I need to book. Right. And then you can type that in. But then I, I was trying to Google stuff too. Google was confused. And then I ended up booking just, just to Geneva. And then I figured from Geneva, I'll book to Lausanne. I probably should have just booked it straight to Lausanne. I probably could have. But this was my first time in Europe in 11 years. And I'm trying to book all this stuff in French. And I was, I was stressing out. I finally realized I was at the wrong kiosk. I do get my train to Geneva, realizing weeks later while I'm over there, I probably could have just booked to Lausanne in the first place and they would have transferred for me just like a plane. Mm-hmm. But again, it, I wasn't familiar and everything's in French. Yeah. And so I finally get my ticket and I'm like, okay, I got my ticket, but there wasn't a platform listed. So I didn't know where that train was going to be. I had, I had my train to Geneva or a ticket to Geneva and I knew when it was leaving. But I didn't know where it was leaving from. And so I'm looking at all the screens. Nothing saying anything about my train. And it's getting to where it's like within like half an hour. Like I, I want to like a flight. You want to want to like get boarded or situated. I know, of course, trains coming in a little quicker. But 
I basically just pick a number on my ticket and be like, maybe that means the platform. And I just start standing in line for this, for this platform. So they scan my ticket. And of course, they don't speak English, but they're telling me, no, this, no, that you're in the wrong place or the wrong time. And I'm just trying to like guess what they're saying or give them a little, you just kind of get the body language that I'm, this is not the right place or at least it's not the right time. Yeah. And so I at least manage like Plutar as a question, like later. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, but they're also just kind of like shooing me away. Like they right. didn't care. Yeah. Um, so I'm like, ugh. So I still don't know where to go. And it's getting within like half an hour. And there's like a screen that people are looking at, but I don't, mine's not on there. My train is not on there. And so I ask another guy, <laughs> I just show him my ticket. I'm like, où est ce train? <laughs> where is this train? <laughs> like, I'm basically five at this point. <laughs> and again, he doesn't speak English. So he's kind of pointing and telling me, he's cool. He's definitely helping me out. He's more willing to help me than the last people I asked, but doesn't speak English. So the, I pick up just enough words that he's telling me, go look at the blue screen and it'll give you a letter like A, B, C, D. Mm. I pick up that that's what he's saying. And I'd already seen the blue screens with the letters, but a lot of them didn't have letters. Or when my train did come up, it didn't have a letter. And so basically he just gave me the confidence that, no, as the train gets closer to leaving, that number will oh. pop up or that letter will pop okay, up. Okay, gotcha. It's kind of like uh, if you're in an airport and like... Uh, Which gate, and, yes. And you're there like really far in advance, then your flight, like you're, you're, you're not going to know what gate it is because they, even they don't know yet. Right. Okay, gotcha. Right. So it's just, so, so he said like blue écran or écran bleu, which is blue screen. And uh-huh. then he's... I really didn't get him. I actually don't know the French for letter. I mean, like, I know, like, let is, like, a letter I write you. Uh-huh. But I don't know if that's the same as, like, a letter in the alphabet. Oh, right. Anyway, but he just started going, A, B, C, D. Like, give me the example. Yeah. I'm like, oh, sweet. <laughs> a, B, C, D. <laughs> and so, yes, I stressed out less. And then, sure enough, it was probably about 15 minutes before my train was to leave. Boom. Whatever platform popped up. Of course, you also have to know where the platform in French is, like, voix. So... You had to learn that that was even what <laughs> platform is, and like, ugh. so I was really, really stressed out. Yeah. And because this is like, this is basically my first slash second day of a four week thing, and I just felt like, <laughs> like I'm pretty chill, but I was just not nervous about that event not working out. I was worried that am I going to be distressed for the next four weeks? That's funny, and just go crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's not. It probably sucked at the time, but it's funny thinking about it now. No, yeah, back. yeah, yeah, right. And then tying to what I said earlier, and then when I finally, so I ended up having to book another train in Geneva to Lausanne, which works a little better because I now know a little bit of how the French system is working here. Well, I'm in, I'm in Switzerland now because Geneva's in Switzerland, but Western Switzerland is all French speaking. Right. So everything's still in French. Everything's still the same. It, you might as well still be in France as far as everything works. Yeah. So that went a little smoother. Still always a little nervous that you're doing something wrong where you don't get the right rates or the right ticket. You know, it's like, you're just never sure you're doing things exactly right when you can't ask anybody. <laughs> so I finally get to Lausanne. Tyler had agreed to meet me at the station. And like I said earlier, my phone doesn't work at the train station in Lausanne. So I'm now in Lausanne. And now how am I going to track down Tyler? <sighs> and again, I'm almost like getting hard, hard to breathe like, right now. Just even like, reliving it. Did you have something set up where you were like, all right, I'm going to be in Lausanne at this time? I had his address. I had his address. Oh, okay. And he was going to meet me at the station. Oh, but my cell phone wasn't working. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and he didn't know what time you were coming in necessarily. Well, no. I, I So I was able to message him probably from the Wi-Fi from the Geneva station. I th- or my phone worked in Geneva. Oh, So gotcha. from Geneva, uh, in Geneva, I was able to still text him and say, hey, here's when my train's leaving. So he knew when to expect me. Okay. But then I wasn't able to like call him because he uses WhatsApp. So I was able to use WhatsApp with him with my cell phone. 
but not when I got to the station. Right. So I'm stressing out about how the heck I'm going to get a hold of Tyler, and he finds me, and I'm like, ugh. A dude that speaks English and is basically here to rescue me, <laughs> who lives in Lausanne. So then I was good, and I was with Tyler for the next few days. So I'll, I'll, we'll get to that later. I'll talk more about Switzerland later. But uh, yes, yeah, so we'll divide this whole trip up into multiple parts so we're not overwhelming it. Try to keep all these Tractor's episodes so to under an hour. five hours long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, but I like going into the full detail because yeah. like, even, even when I'm going through pictures with my, with my parents, I give them like a... I was rushing through it even faster than this. And that was like a three-hour version of the trip. Yeah. <laughs> and that was like leaving tons of this stuff out even. So uh, I figure if we do, well, I was going to say three, but maybe it's going to be like more four, five, six episodes. Probably. We can get to the whole thing here. But yeah, let's talk a little uh, movies and TV as we like to on, on this uh, on this podcast here too. So uh, you mentioned watching The Green Knight uh, recently that was actually yeah. pretty good. Yeah, I, I just, I watched it yesterday. Um, I got it on the... I forget what the actual name of it is, but basically the the movies that you can watch on Amazon Prime that are in theaters if you pay, pay a premium. You pay the which Disney Plus does. I does. I didn't realize that uh, Amazon did that too. Yeah, and and it's it's not like super expensive. It was like it's like nineteen ninety nine for a forty eight hour rental, which is basically the same as two movie tickets. So it's like financially it's comparable to just going to the movies but you don't have to right. go to the movies and you can hit pause pause yeah, it yeah, and yeah. and the big one for me uh you can use subtitles which i really appreciate obviously the green knight wasn't that big of a deal because everyone speaks english and you know right it's not it just ensures that you don't uh you don't miss anything i usually will watch movies with subtitles just anyway and my brother does that too i Again, I'd say I don't like that, but obviously I watch tons of foreign stuff and I have no problem with the subtitles there because they're not a necessity. But I guess when it's in English and I can understand clearly, I don't like it just because my eyes go there even if I don't need it. And now I'm looking down instead of looking up. And it's not the worst thing in the world. I don't tell my brother to turn them off when he has them on, but I almost kind of prefer not having it if I don't need it. But at the same time, when I'm watching, say, Peaky Blinders and I can't understand their accent... Mm -hmm. I turn on the subtitles and have no problem with it, I guess. So Yeah, yeah and I, I think that's maybe that is something that like because when I first started like seriously watching movies, probably like back in 2007, like movies that you were recommending me and a lot of them were foreign oh, movies. I just yeah. kind of got used to watching movies with subtitles and then I would watch uh -huh. movies like, for instance, you know, whenever I'm sure it was you that recommended it, uh, watch a movie like Snatch and it's like, okay. This isn't in a foreign language, but like some of it might as well be. So I'm just going to turn the subtitles on. And then I just started doing that with like just every movie because it just, you know, it just ensured that I didn't miss anything. And now it's just kind of a habit that I I just usually watch movies with subtitles if I have it available. The other thing that makes me think of is my parents give me crap for that. They think my I always like the volume really loud. So if I go and watch some of my parents, I actually like it louder than they do even though they're older than me. <laughs> and so they, they think they, they, they almost like concerned, like, is there something wrong with your hearing? I'm like, I don't think there is. Cause like, you, I mean, ask, ask the kids I coach, like they'll say something like they're on the track 70 yards away from me and I'll turn as they say something, if it's not windy, like, cause I hear them. Yeah. And, uh, meaning when they're not even necessarily trying to be heard. So I think my hearing is fine for me. I think it's about focus and mm. I need the movie to be the loudest thing in the room. Yeah. And if there's something happening in another room or the air conditioning's on, 
I get distracted by everything else. It's, honestly, it's the same reason I can't sleep on the darn plane. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I basically, I again, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe my hearing's wrong. Hearing's off. But I feel like I need the volume high to help my focus and help drown everything else out. So I don't know. So the reason that brought I brought that up is that'd be another instance where if I wasn't able to turn the volume up and drown anything else out, I would probably want the subtitles on to be able to help me hear and focus or whatever. So yeah, almost like it's like I can't. Maybe I can't separate. So maybe it is a hearing thing where I have trouble separating what the show is saying from the other sounds that are happening. So even though I can hear things fine, I do have a problem parsing sounds out, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Do I have an issue? Are we diagnosing me right now? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so Yeah. How, how was the Green Knight? <laughs> oh, yeah. So <laughs> I really liked it. It is uh, one of those movies like we've talked about before that has a pretty solid split on rotten tomatoes so oh, it has right. yes, actually yes. let me let me look it up real fast i think it was i think it was wasn't it like 88 50 88 to 50 which is like that's a pretty large one yeah so it's on rotten tomatoes it has an 88 percent critic score it is certified fresh but it only has a 50 percent audience score which right. i actually kind of understand because it's not your typical medieval you know, Knights of the Round Table slash em up adventure movie. It's very, I don't know, atmospheric. I don't know if that's the right word, but it's, there's not a ton of dialogue. They do some weird stuff with like text on screen, but it's like the text is in a style that you would see in like in an old Arthurian legend. Yeah, that's yeah. Like on a, that sounds kind of fun. On, yeah. a, on a, you know, like a really old, like hundreds of years old book because it is based on a, Arthurian legend called Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. But there's it's it does a lot of stuff where there is uh unreliable narrator stuff, but not in narration, in visuals. So like there's one point it's actually towards the beginning, so it's not really a spoiler, but there's one point where we see Sir Gawain tied up on the ground, the camera does a 360 pan, unbroken shot, comes back and he's a skeleton. So it's like Wait, did the main character just die? Well, then it pans away uh, and comes back and he's alive. It's like he's envisioning himself as dead, but it's he's not saying that. It's just the camera is showing that. Yeah, yeah. I could definitely see how if you go in, you know, you and you expect like Kingdom of it's Heaven. Jarring, yeah. And you get this, you wouldn't like it. Okay. So and yeah, there's a lot of like weird kind of trippy stuff uh that I I thought was really cool, but it's because I kind of expected it going in. There is a lot of really cool cinematography. Uh, it's the whole movie is beautifully shot. Um, they do a lot of cool stuff with like different color lighting that I really liked. All the performances are really good. Dev Patel is awesome, even though he he has probably the most speaking parts of anyone, and he hardly talks through the whole movie. But uh, yeah, Dev Patel and then Alicia Vikander is really good. Joel Edgerton's in it um, as a minor part. But yeah, I don't know. If you haven't seen it, I would I would recommend it, but just keep in mind that it's it's a weird trippy A24 movie that just happens to be based on a Arthurian legend. It's not right. it's not a, you know, it's not a night's tale. <laughs> right. And uh so I was pulling up to the director there, David Lowry, and I have seen one of his other movies and it also has a big split and I didn't like it. Okay, what what's the what other movie has he done that you've seen? Because I I don't think I've seen any other movies by him. A Ghost Story from 2017. Mm, okay, it's it's uh, Casey Affleck and Rooney Mara, and 
It's a 91 slash 66, so better rated on both sides than the Green Knight. And I didn't like it because of kind of what you're saying. Or I just thought it was too freaking weird, dude. Okay. <laughs> now, completely different movies. I mean, there's there's no reason. I, I mean, I'm not saying I won't give a Green Knight a chance. But I'm just saying, like, I've been down this road before with the same director. All the cons- uh, comparison there, though, might be... It, it's maybe similar to, like, Yorgos Lanthimos, where I didn't really care for The Lobster. And it's one like Dogtooth before that I straight up hated. But then I really liked The Favorite. So just because I didn't like A Ghost Story... <laughs> the one thing I'll say, this is definitely not a spoiler, but like at one point they show Rooney Mara eating like an entire pie in real time. That's the scene. I'm like, I was like, stop. There's, <laughs> there's nothing that's that weird in this. Okay. But okay. there are, there is a lot of stuff that is, that is weird. But again, I, I liked it being weird. Whereas I don't know if and I'm not anti weird. No, but... I know, I know, but I don't. Hopefully, since you have the expectation going in that it's going to no, be weird, right, right. it doesn't. It's not as jarring, um, which okay. I think is the reason that it has such a horrible audience score. Is because I don't know the the, the way that the trailers show it. I fully expected it to be what it was going to be, but maybe if you just aren't that familiar with how weird these kind of like a twenty four you know creepy weird movies are. Yeah, that you want that if you aren't expecting it, that it is um, a little jarring. But I don't know. I really liked it. I would recommend it, but I am curious to see if you actually like it. <laughs> there, there are there is not not like someone eating a pie in real time because that that is kind of like almost weird for the sake of being weird. Uh, but there are a lot of really long, like unbroken shots. And they're not necessarily, it's not like, you know, the fight scene in Kingsman where it's this really long, unbroken shot, but it's cool because it's like people fighting and like, you'll just have a a long, unbroken shot of that's just like panning around just like a forest. Okay, gotcha. So it's more like for ambiance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like it, it serves a narrative point because like when this is happening, he's tied up and abandoned. And so it's like, yeah, time would be kind of weird and you would feel this like isolation and this silence and it would be kind of creepy and strange and, you know, kind of unsettling. But yeah, it's definitely not for everybody. Well, so Sight Unseen, here's another movie of his that I'll recommend to you, even though, again, I I haven't seen it, but seems like your kind of thing. He did a 2018 movie called The Old Man and the Gun with Robert Redford as the lead. And it's a 93 slash 62. You're probably getting excited. I'm like, eh. <laughs> okay. Is it like a Western? That sounds like the title of a Western. Well, it, it, no, he's wearing like a, it looks like he's wearing like a suit, but it, it does look like maybe it's set in the, just by the picture of the poster here, it looks like it's maybe set in like the 50s. Okay. Biographical crime film, career prisoner, and a prison escape. Good cast. Oh, yeah. This looks, <laughs> this looks pretty good. Robert Redford, Casey Affleck, Danny Glover, Sissy Spacek, Tom Waits. Tom Waits. Yeah. Tika Sumter. Okay. I might have to check this out. There you go. So first time I've ever recommended a movie to you that I haven't seen. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And hey, we, we might call it good for uh, today's episode here. And uh, we'll, we'll continue on as, as we kind of have time to get to it. Keep uh, spelling out my trip to Europe here and just kind of having more of these uh, Track Nerds episodes as we, as we can here, finding time between other things. So thanks for listening and uh, catch you later.